Welcome to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. My name's Tammy Simon. I'm the founder of Sounds True. And I'd love to take a moment to introduce you to the new Sounds True Foundation. The Sounds True Foundation is dedicated to creating a wiser and kinder world by making transformational education widely available. We want everyone to have access to transformational tools such as mindfulness, emotional awareness, and self-compassion, regardless of financial, social, or physical challenges. The Sounds True Foundation is a nonprofit dedicated to providing these transformational tools to communities in need, including at-risk youth, prisoners, veterans, and those in developing countries. If you'd like to learn more or feel inspired to become a supporter, please visit SoundsTrueFoundation.org. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guest is Kristen Neff. Kristen Neff is an associate professor at the University of Texas, Austin, and is the author of the breakthrough book, Self-Compassion, and the Sounds True audio series, Self-Compassion, Step-by-Step. She has been practicing Buddhist meditation since 1997 and has co-created a program on mindful self-compassion with her associate, Chris Germer, at Harvard University. With Sounds True, Kristen has just released a new audio training series on the yin and yang of self-compassion. And that's what we talk about in our conversation, how each one of us, regardless of our gender, are called to embody both the yin side of self-compassion, the soft, accepting, loving presence that we can have with ourselves when we're in pain, but also the yang side, that fierce, protective part of us that knows how to be angry when it's time to be angry and knows how to say no when it's time to say no. Here's my conversation on both the yin and yang of self-compassion with Kristen Neff. Kristen, you've, you've really devoted your professional life to understanding, researching, and teaching about self-compassion. And I want to begin by asking you a question that I hear a lot from people when it comes to self-compassion. Often when I talk about it, to other people, just in a very colloquial way. It's like, you know, self-compassion, just like you'd be compassionate to a friend who was suffering or in need, you can be compassionate towards yourself. And what I hear from people is, you know, it's so much easier to be compassionate towards someone I care about than it is to be compassionate towards my very own self. So to begin with, to kick off our conversation, why is that true for so many of us? Well, um, and, and it is true empirically. Most people are much more compassionate to other people than they are to themselves. Um, and I think there's a couple reasons. Uh, one happens at the societal level. I think society doesn't teach us it's a good thing to be kind to ourselves. In fact, it, it kind of gives us the opposite message that it's selfish or self-pity or self-indulgence that kind of warns us off being kind to ourselves. So that's one thing. But I think at a deeper level, I actually think it has some physiological roots. 
Um, so what we know is that self-criticism, being really hard on ourselves, is rooted in the body's threat defense system, you know, our reptilian brain. That part of us when we're threatened that says, you know, fight for your life, run like hell, or freeze and play dead, right? Um, and what happens when, we, when we're hard on ourselves, or let's say we notice something we don't like about ourselves, or we make a mistake, or we fail in some way, we feel threatened. But of course, the problem, the threat, is our own selves, right? It's an attack on our self-concept. So we turn this fight, flight, or freeze response inward to try to feel safe. You know, we, we beat ourselves up, hoping that that will somehow make us correct our behavior so we'll be safe. Or we, we, we isolate ourselves in shame as if we're like hiding from the problem. Or else we freeze, we get stuck in rumination, like we get locked in and and, and, you know, if I just think about the problem for the 57th time, maybe it will go away. And so really you can think of the, our more natural response of self-criticism or being very hard or, or shame, that this is just our way of staying safe. Now, if you, my friend, <laughs> suffer in some way or make a mistake or fail, I don't feel so directly threatened. And therefore, I can tap into another safety system we have and that's the mammalian care system. This is a system that came a little later in evolution, but that allows us to feel safe by, you know, affiliation, caring for people, social bonding. Um, but the problem is that when I fail, I feel isolated. I feel alone. Um, and the, my first instinct is this, this critical response. And what we do when we give ourselves compassion, this is one of the keys is by stepping outside of ourselves and relating to ourselves as if we were relating to a friend. That gives us a little more space. We're a little less locked into the fear. And it actually allows us to use the care response to feel safe. So I think there's a lot of reasons, but that's probably one of the biggest. Now, what I want to talk to you about today, Kristen, and what you just said was very helpful, I think, to set the stage for this conversation, is that with Sounds True, you've released a new audio training series on the yin and yang of self-compassion. And it seems like this idea that there are different kinds of self-compassion, a yin variety and a yang variety, is something that has emerged of late in your work as you started training people in mindful self-compassion. So tell me about this emergence of different types of self-compassion. Yeah. And so if you think of what compassion is, both for self or others, it's really concerned with the alleviation of suffering, right? And it also remembers that we all suffer. It's kind of connected. It's mindful. But at its core, there's this concern for the alleviation of suffering. And how we go about doing that uh, can vary greatly. So most people, when they think of self-compassion and, you know, kind of where most of my earlier work focused was, you know, the more tender aspect of self-compassion, being with ourselves in a kind way, you know, accepting ourselves as we are, um, being supportive toward ourselves, comforting and soothing ourselves when we're upset just like we might be, again, for a close friend. Um, I like to think of a metaphor for this type of self-compassion is that of a parent, you know, really being present for their child, caring for their child, um, helping support them when the child's upset. But 
what's another really important aspect of compassion, of alleviating suffering, is um, kind of taking action to do this. So, for instance, a firefighter who jumps into a burning building to, be, to pull the people out from, you know, from about, who are about to be engulfed by flames, that's an ultimate act of compassion. Or um, a parent who works three jobs to put food on their table for their kids. Or a teacher who motivates, inspires her pupils to go on and reach their goals. Those are also acts of compassion. They take a more active form. And so, and, and actually, Tammy, I must give you credit. You're the one who, who helped me and my, my colleague, Chris Germer. We were thinking of it as more male and female aspects of self-compassion, and that just didn't sit right with me. You know, one was more tender, one was more active or fierce. And you're actually the one that said, well, what about the idea of yin and yang from Chinese philosophy. It sounds like that's what you're talking about. And so I really uh-huh. have to thank you. Interesting. Yeah, that, I have no memory you, that I suggested you know, that, yeah, but I do, but I do believe, yeah, in gender fluidity and not trapping yeah. these qualities in male-female language. So good. Ex- Yay. Exactly. Yeah. So you're the one who suggested it because Chris was wanting to talk about the gender of self-compassion and my feminist self was getting really angry. Well, it's not just a male thing or a female thing. But this is a perfect metaphor because yin and yang, you know, most people probably know, but listeners, you know, yin is more in the circle of the yin and the yang. Most people are familiar with it, the black and the white with a dot of each in between. The yin is the dark energy. It's supposed to be more feminine, more of a passive energy, more the being with. Um, and the white is supposed supposedly the more active energy, the masculine energy that, you know, doing things that make change. But of course, it's not male or female. These energies aren't every single person, actually in all life forms. And so really, I think what's happening is that everything has both the yin and the yang aspect, including self-compassion. So the yin, the yin of self-compassion is this being with it. This is really the healing aspect of self-compassion. You know, when we can hold our pain with kind of loving, connected presence, when we can be there for ourselves, it allows us to heal um, and eventually to transform the pain. But sometimes, again, the young form of self-compassion is taking action. I like to call this a fierce self-compassion, or or another good metaphor is a mama bear. (laughs) And it's so funny because um, I think everyone has a mama bear, you know, so I think men also have an internal mama bear. Mama bear refers to that fierce protective force that arises when something we really care about is threatened. And so when we're threatened in some way, or we're we're stuck, or or maybe we aren't meeting our own needs, our internal mama bear rises, our fierce self-compassion to do something about it. And the problem with gender roles, as you know, is that gender socializes us to be one or the other when we need both. So women are socialized to be yin, and we aren't allowed to be young. And and women like you and me, Tammy, who have a lot of young energy, you know, people don't really know what to make of us, right? It doesn't fit gender roles. And sometimes people don't like us because we aren't acting the way we're supposed to. You know, women aren't allowed to get angry. They aren't allowed to be assertive or fierce, even though this is an essential part of everyone's nature. Um, and of course, men, on the other hand, they're socialized the opposite way. They aren't allowed to be tender. They aren't allowed to just be with things in a kind of vulnerable way. And that harms men, too. So what I really love about this metaphor, the yin and the yang, 
is that it really shows that in order to alleviate suffering, we need to, you know, bring our resources from many, many sources. Actually, if you think of um, Hindu images of goddesses of compassion or, or the um, um, Avalokiteshvara, who's a, a Buddhist goddess of compassion, she has many, many arms, each with a different instrument, meaning that the way, that, the way we alleviate suffering just depends on the circumstance at hand. Well, you know, it's interesting that you're bringing up the deities from different traditions, whether those are Buddhist goddess forms or Hindu goddess forms, because, you know, you see a lot of goddess forms that have a lot of wrathful energy in them. And I think some people would say, well, is that an aspect of compassion? And I think you're saying, yes, of course it is. Okay. And here's one of the things I really want to talk to you about, which is you're a researcher. Your work has always come from research. (laughs) Is there a research that supports the idea that there are different kinds of self-compassion with potentially different kinds of results as well? Yes. So, well, well, it's interesting. I mean, yes and no. We certainly have a lot of research that shows um, some of the myths about self-compassion, that it's weak, that it's passive, that it's going to undermine your motivation, that it's selfish, right? In, in some ways, these are myths about not understanding the yang of self-compassion. That people, If you just think it's yin, you're going to think it's weak and passive and not motivating. What we know clearly from the research is self-compassion is a strength. It really helps you get through the tough times in life. Um, it motivates you. Um, it's not selfish. It helps you give to others, but the balance, meeting your, your own needs and those of others. So the research, you might say, supports the fact that self-compassion, trait levels of self-compassion or when it's trained, has these various effects. Now, it, at this point, it's a little unclear, and part, partly this is a measurement issue of whether or not you can differentiate the different types of self-compassion. Um, Paul Gilbert has a scale a measure of self-compassion that actually focuses more on this action and engagement side, but this is pretty new stuff. We aren't, we aren't quite at the level yet of differentiating the type of self-compassion and how that yields impact, but we, what we do know is absolutely um, self-compassion has a variety of outcomes, more tender ones, more healing ones, more more um, outcomes that come from just being supportive with ourselves, and also outcomes that yield action. When I was listening to your new program, The Yin and Yang of Self-Compassion, the program that I had no idea that I helped develop the title for, but that's all right. Happy, happy to learn that. But when I was... when I was, Take credit. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's all right. Uh, but when I was listening, I heard you talk about a study on self-compassion, a series of studies that related to combat soldiers and how yes. soldiers who had high self-compassion ratings on the scale actually have less PTSD. I wonder if you can share some of that research. I thought that was so interesting. Yes, um, and it's it's in a variety of fields. We've seen the same effect with combat soldiers, with um, parents with special needs, children, people going through a divorce. You might say when the going gets tough, the self-compassionate people get tough and they get going, right? Because what happens, I'll, I'll just explain this one study um, of veterans. They measured uh, veterans' self-compassion levels after they came back from overseas, either Iraq or Afghanistan. And these were soldiers who had seen action. Um, and they measured their self-compassion level and they followed up the 
to see which of those soldiers develop PTSD nine months later. And self-compassion, you know, basically how they related to themselves in the midst of all the trauma they had experienced, that was a powerful predictor of whether or not they developed PTSD. And in fact, it was a more powerful predictor than level of combat exposure, or in other words, how much action they had seen. So what that really says is more important than how stressful your situation is or how traumatic it is, is how you relate to yourself in the midst of that um, challenging situation. And again, we get similar findings with, with parents of special needs, children, divorce, um, you know, wh- whatever the stressor is, self-compassion is a strength. It's actually, you know, I'm biased, of course, but I'm comfortable saying it's one of the most powerful forces of strength, coping, and resilience we have available to us. And that largely comes from this young side. It's not just being passive. It's actually doing things to protect yourself, to give yourself what you need, to motivate yourself to get you through the hard time. Now, in your work, Kristen, you've identified three different types of young self-compassion. And I'm curious how you came to this categorization and if you can share with our listeners what these three different types are. Yes. Um, and so, and, and this, I have to say, a, a lot of these ideas um, come from both Chris Germer, who's my close colleague, who developed the Mindful Self-Compassion program with me, and, and things that we've been talking about for a long time. And so uh, Chris actually, to give him credit, came up with the idea that the main domains of young self-compassion are protecting ourselves, um, providing ourselves with what we need, and motivating ourselves. Now, this isn't actually empirically derived from research. I suspect there probably are other domains of young self-compassion, but these are the ones that at least we know from the research uh, areas where we see self-compassion having an influence. So, um, you know, the reason we, we came up with them is just because it seemed to fit with our experience of where this more fierce type of self-compassion plays itself out. But again, I suspect I suspect there are others. But, but it's interesting. So what I've been doing with the model is I've been developing um, each of these more hmm, kind of a, a more details. So, so the yin of self-compassion actually should back up a little bit. Um, as readers may know or listeners may know, um, there's three basic components of self-compassion is being mindful of our of our struggle or pain. It's remembering that this is part of life, common humanity, and it's being kind to ourselves. And so these three components of um, mindfulness, common humanity, and kindness take a different form. They feel different. They have kind of a, a different flavor depending on uh, what form the self-compassion is taking. So at the end, self-compassion, the form it takes is loving, connected presence, right? So when we're with ourselves in this kind of tender way, um, the kindness feels loving, common humanity, it feels connected, and the mindfulness, we're very present. But it, it, it feels very different with different actions. For instance, with um, when self-compassion is aimed at protecting ourselves, it feels like fierce, empowered clarity. The kindness is fierce. That's the mama bear. It's like, no, that is not okay. You will, you know, you will go no further. Common humanity, that's that's me too, right? That's we stand together with our brothers and sisters in strength. We are empowered by our connection with others. And then the mindfulness gives us that real sense of clarity. This is not okay. 
right? So difference between loving, connected presence and fierce, empowered clarity. It feels different um, when you're providing for yourself, when you're you're giving yourself what you truly um, authentically need. In this case, um, the kindness is when we it feels very fulfilling, like satisfying. When we, when we give ourselves what we need, we feel fulfilled. Um, when common humanity, we, we recognize um, that it, this is what that it's an, a balanced way. In other words, we don't just give to ourselves. We don't just subordinate our needs to those of others. We're, we're balanced. We, we common humanity allows us to balance the needs of self and other. And then, and then the mindfulness gives us a real sense of authenticity. What do I need? You know, do I even know what I need? When self-compassion is in full bloom toward providing for our needs, it manifests as um, fulfilling, balanced authenticity. Again, feels very different. And then the last one, if you'll indulge me, you can see I'm very excited about this model because it really makes sense. The, the last for motivating, right? Kindness and motivation comes out as encouragement. Right. Um, it's not kind. Someone needs to be motivated and they're stuck to just say, oh, well, that's fine. Right. Or to ourselves, if we aren't happy to say, oh, that's fine. You know, <laughs> kindness means we don't criticize ourselves. We don't call ourselves names, but we say, you can do it. I believe in you. Kindness is a very encouraging quality. Um, common humanity. This is also really interesting. Common humanity kind of sees how things are related to each other. It actually comes from the bigger view of interdependence, the causes and conditions that come together to create our suffering. So when we motivate ourselves, common humanity actually manifests as wisdom. We can see where we're stuck, why we're stuck, you know, what mistakes we made, right? We kind of understand the bigger picture of what's happening. And then mindfulness in this case, is vision. It gives us the vision to see what we need to change in order to help ourselves. So in this case, love, um, kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness feels like um, encouraging, uh, wise vision, right? Again, very, very different. So you can see that it all comes from the same core. It all, all of these are aspects of kindness, uh, common humanity, and mindfulness. But when they bloom in these different domains of life, they feel very different and they can have very different effects and impacts. So, Kristen, I want to talk more about the type of Yang self-compassion that you say is this encouraging or motivating force. Yes. Because one of the things in your work that you've pointed out is that research shows that the number one reason people give for not practicing self-compassion, I'm not going to be compassionate to myself in this situation, is because there's a fear that I won't be highly motivated as a person. So I'm going to take the whip out instead and kind of whip myself and say, you know, if only you were smarter, if only you'd worked harder, you know, blah, blah, blah. And this, this is a voice, this, you could call it the voice of the critic or the inner bully or you know, the inner tormentor, whatever. I mean, I'm very familiar to be vulnerable for a moment with that voice. And, you know, I notice when I'm hard on myself, it's because, you know, maybe I perceive that there's this area I wish I was better in and I'm not. And, you know, other people seem to be surpassing me in these ways and those ways or whatever. And so I think, okay, I'm going to be hard on myself and then I'll wake up early or I'll go out and exercise or whatever. And yet you're actually saying something really different in your work 
that we could be motivated through a type of self-compassion and that would actually work better than being yeah. hard on ourselves. And I think this is so it, important it, for people to understand this, Kristen. Yeah, it, it does work better. It does work better, right? And so you know, if you care about yourself and you don't want to suffer, you're going to want to make needed changes. You're going to want to reach your goals. You're going to want to be your best self. I mean, just like a parent wants that for the child, we want that for ourselves. And also, we shouldn't beat ourselves up for beating ourselves up because, again, remembering that the reason we do it, the reason maybe if you're ever hard on yourself is because you want to be safe and you want to be happy and there's part of you that thinks maybe this will help. It'll, you know, if you're really harsh on yourself, maybe you'll pay attention and remember and do something different. It's natural, but it's just not very effective, right? So if you think about it, what, what voice is more effective? A voice telling you how bad you are, who's belittling you, who's really mean, or a voice that's encouraging, supportive. You can do it, right? We're going to listen more to that encouraging and supportive voice, and we're also going to be able to take in what that voice is saying more readily than a voice who's just, you know, shutting us down. And the wisdom element, right? Self-compassion taps into constructive criticism, right? What, what, what mistakes did I make? How can I do it better next time? That's a caring, understanding, compassionate approach. What self-criticism tends to do is it just gives us this very, you know, not very wise information, just like, you're bad, you did it wrong, do it better next time. It doesn't say what to do differently or how to do it differently or doesn't see the bigger picture of all the causes and conditions that, that led to this outcome. And that's actually pretty lousy information. You know, this kindness yields this kind of wise, oh, I see, I, I did this, maybe I could try this different next time and that would lead to a better effect. It's actually much more, much more uh, informational value. In the, in the wise encouragement as opposed to the belittling name-calling. Um, and, then, and then also um, the, the thing about having the vision. Well, what we know, actually you probably know this from positive psychology, is that negative emotions tend to narrow our focus. It, it limits what we can see. We only see what we did wrong and how we're wrong. We can't actually see possibilities because the negative emotion actually has a function, evolutionarily actually, of narrowing our vision. Positive emotions, kindness, safety, warmth, they have the effect of broadening our perspective so that we can have a larger vision, so that we can see the possibilities, so that we might get an idea of, well, I could, I could try this. This may really work, you know, better for me. So it's, it's um, you know, it makes perfect sense to me, but also you don't have to believe me. It's backed up by the research that this kind of encouraging, um, wise voice of compassionate motivation is actually much more effective and more sustainable. Okay, so let's talk for a moment to a parent, and I know that you're a parent, and that yes. parent says, I want to raise children who are very self-compassionate and are motivated. They have this yes. young quality, not, not, you know, you should have done it better, never do that again, yes. you know. What is needed to create that kind of ethos in a family system so children grow up with the sense of, oh, encouragement works. I don't need to beat myself up to reach my goals. Yeah. 
So, um, again, this is where the, both the yin and the yang is so crucial to have both elements in also a family system. So the yin of self-compassion basically is the bottom line to your kids, and I have this bottom line for my son. If you fail or you don't succeed, that's okay. I love you anyway. My love is unconditional. That's yin self-compassion, unconditional love and support, right? Combined with the fact that I want you to be able to do your best and I want to be able to support and encourage you and give you the tools and the help you need to do your best, right? So both of those messages, it's not that, you know, if you fail, it's unacceptable, but if you fail, well, that's not ideal because you won't be as happy as if you were to succeed, right? So really giving both those messages, the safety net being unconditional acceptance, but the, but the love manifesting as um, you, you can do it, I believe in you, I'm going to encourage and support you. And so I think it's really important. A lot of these are, um, these messages, a lot of them are given implicitly. Right. Usually parents don't have a sit down, talk with their kids and tell, talk to them about motivation. But what, what's the tone of voice? What types of things do you say? Do you, do, you, do you give the message that, you know, I believe in you. I think you can do it. You know, if the child struggles, do you, do you give the message, A, it's okay. Everyone struggles. And I think we can help you to do better, right? What, 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 what's happening in your tone of voice? Do you feel really kind of disappointed? Maybe you don't say, well, I'm really disappointed in you, but maybe it's your face and your, your tone of voice is, I'm disappointed in you. The child's going to notice that. So really just being conscious of the messages we're, we're sending our kids. And by the way, I've talked about these issues with parenting for years and um, my son had been homeschooled. So I didn't really have direct experience with this, but actually he, he went to public school for the first time last semester. Um, and he actually came, he did come home with a, a failing final exam and he was going to have to retake this course for summer. So I was, I was all of a sudden faced with this real life situation. You know, how am I going to relate to my son's failing his class? And of course I didn't say, you know, you stupid kid, I can't believe you failed your class. But the type of thing a lot of people say to themselves, you know, I can't believe I did that. I'm so stupid. I knew that would have decimated him. So I just quite naturally as a parent did what you do with compassion. First of all, I just gave him a hug and I said, oh, sweetheart, you know, it happens to everyone. It's okay. It's no big deal. You know, so that was the unconditional yin acceptance. But I said, hey, listen, I know, I know, I think what happened is you haven't really taken a lot of tests before. You know, my son's autistic, which is why he's been taking a lot of tests before. Let's figure out how to take tests better. So I called all his teachers and we figured out that for his next semester, he's going to take all his final exams as practice tests to learn how to take exams. So that therefore, he'll get the skill and be able to do it on his own the next semester, right? So that type of kind of creative, supportive, encouraging thinking um, with the bottom line being, but it's okay if he fails, that I did for him, that's the type of thing we can model for kids and also for ourselves, toward ourselves in front of our kids. Available now, Sean Korn's new book, Revolution of the Soul. 
a life-changing call to evolve and serve. Brought to you by Sounds True and Lululemon's Social Impact Program, Here to Be. Learn more at revolutionofthesoulbook.com. I wonder if you could give me an example, Kristen, from your own life when it comes to this area of motivation of how yin and yang self-compassion have come together to motivate you around making a change in your life. Ah, yeah. Well, (laughs) believe it or not, Tammy, I am not perfect. I have, I have a lot of things that I struggle with. So um, just, as we as we are as we as all humans. do yes yes as we do right so and, and again I I actually um, I do have a lot of young energy and one of the ways that comes out is uh, a part of my personality is just a part but I like to affectionately name the bulldog right so <laughs> the bulldog if if I think that like something isn't being done correctly or I'm kind of irritated with someone. Um, you know, I can be a little harsher than the yin side of me uh, would like to be. Uh, and in fact, it's actually, I think it's, and I talk about these parts of ourselves, I think it's actually useful to think in parts because that is the truth of our personalities. We have, we have a lot of different parts of ourselves and some parts show up sometimes and, and sometimes, you know, they don't. No, no, none of these parts represents our whole self. So, um, you know, again, the way I deal with, with the bulldog, when the bulldog barks, <laughs> is first of all, what I've learned, and this is really important, is that if my bulldog feels like it's going to be shut down, or I'm not going to accept it, or I'm going to try to silence it or muscle it, put the muzzle on, you might say, put the muzzle on the bulldog, what happens is uh, when that energy arises, it takes over the system. So the other parts of me, the more maybe compassionate or wiser or you know more calm parts of myself, I actually don't have access to that part of myself because this this bulldoggy part feels like oh I better just bark now because if I don't do it now you know I won't get my chance, and so that's part of the problem when we are integrated with the yin and the yang is that the parts of us representing one energy or the other tend to like take over the system so they won't be shut down. So what I do actually is I spend a lot of time, you know, this is going to sound really silly and it's not very scientific, but like I imagine that I'm just petting that bulldog part of myself and I take it for a walk and I think it for, you know, it's protective force and that it's it's really associated with me with some sort of, um, some sort of identification for for having things right and good. So it actually has a good, core it just comes out in a not very helpful way so actually again i i I think it um i I let it know that i'm not going to shut it down that i will always listen to what it has to say and then when i do that then the other parts of myself have a chance to come online when i get triggered the part of myself that maybe you think well maybe that's not the best way to word that email or you know, or maybe I should give this a little time to settle down and see what I think tomorrow morning about the situation. Uh, and I actually find that it's been incredibly helpful for me, this honoring all the parts, having compassion for all the parts, listening to what each of these parts has to say, because they all have an important message. 
How, Kristen, might someone know in their own experience if it would be helpful to work on developing more yin self-compassion in a certain experience, certain difficult uh, experience, or if really this is a moment when young... Yeah, where young energy is needed. Uh, you know, I think it's it's really the person... This is going to sound like a cop-out answer, but it really is the true answer. Each person's internal wisdom has to decide. I mean, I can't say from the outside what's needed. The really important thing is just being willing to ask the question. Now, here's the thing, you know, a lot of people don't even ask the question, what do I need right now? They're either so focused on fixing the problem or they're focused on meeting other people's needs or, you know, they're focused on anything but this really essential self-compassion question, what do I need right now? Right. And usually we always need both energies. We need yin and we need yang. So let's say that you're, um, maybe there's some goal you want to achieve. Maybe you want to ask your boss for a raise, to give a concrete example. And you're just um, a little stuck. You just feel you're procrastinating. You keep putting it off. You aren't allowing yourself to be, mo- you know, to reach this goal of asking for a raise. Well, then maybe you need a little more yang. Maybe you need to call up that energy of, you know, assertiveness, maybe protecting yourself, maybe you're being treated unfairly, or maybe you just really see that you deserve this raise and therefore you need this kind of fierce mama bear energy to um, to get yourself going. But maybe your problem's the opposite. Maybe you're a perfectionist and at work you have to get everything right and you're working 70 hour weeks and you're just running yourself ragged then maybe you actually need a little more yin energy. Maybe you need to focus on it's okay not to get everything done. You know, it's okay not to be perfect. You know, I'm, it's good enough. And so really, I think each individual deep down kind of knows what they need, but you have to start by being willing to ask yourself the question, what do I need? And then caring about yourself enough to try to give yourself what you need. That's helpful. And this idea that we need to have, each of us needs to have this healthy mix, healthy balance of yin and yang, self-compassion. always. Now, as you know, and we've discussed it, I I don't want to be like yang is for men and yin is for women, but I am curious with keeping a very gender fluid mindset in general, for people who identify as being women, what do you see as the main blocks to young self-compassion? And for people who identify as being men, they've been raised as men in our culture, what are their blocks to yin self-compassion? Yes. So, I mean, um, this isn't just for cisgendered people. I think because the blocks are both internal, psychological, and uh, cultural and structural, and, and we have to talk about patriarchy here as well. We have to talk about power inequality. It's all playing a role. So for for women, right? Um, you know, the, the, basically, for instance, I wrote a little piece about the, um, the Christine Blasey Ford hearings for Brett Kavanaugh, and remarked on the fact that here's this woman, a professor, an expert in her field, actually the psychology of trauma. She was very assertive. She could really speak loudly and clearly about her area of expertise. But when she, at other times during those hearings, 
she was speaking to all these white male senators and she sounded like a little girl. I mean, this is not the same thing against her. She was incredibly brave, but like she had to kind of smile and giggle and, and be pleasant for these men because she knew, she knew that she had to be that way to be heard. And she was probably right. You know, she was absolutely right. She could be heard because she was tentative in her voice. If she had been like Kavanaugh, you know, angry, forceful, she, she would have been called names and no one would have listened to her at all. So basically what happens is there are these gender roles that I think are set up by a structure of inequality. I mean, women are socialized to be more submissive and to be more passive and not to speak up and to always focus on meeting other people's needs. Men are focused, are socialized to be leaders, you know, to take charge, to prioritize their own needs. And the system works well for supporting patriarchy. And so these gender roles, which at the societal level um, promote this gender inequality, get internalized at the personal level. This is what I need to be like to be liked and accepted. If I'm a woman, I need to be soft-spoken. I need to be sweet. I need to be you know, happy. I can't be angry because if I do, people won't like me. And then that's reinforced by the fact that there's stereotype backlash. Like, you know, I, I've been called plenty of names in my time because I'm very young. You know, I, I decided early on that it was more important for me to be authentic than to have people like me. But there, there, are, there are real costs that going outside your gender role, at least in, in many spheres of society, that, you know, we just kind of have to realize are there. So it's, it's kind of the whole system works together at least for women, to support the inside. And again, for men, I mean, we teach um, self-compassion workshops for men, and I don't teach them. The the male (laughs) mindful self-compassion teachers teach them. And when you get men alone in a room, they start opening up about the incredible pressure of being strong and not being vulnerable and the pain that comes from that. You know, if a man, if he shows his, or a boy when he's growing up, if he shows his true feelings, if he shows any weakness, he gets pounced on, he gets bullied. You know, the system supports, you know, patriarchy has its benefits if you're a man, but it also has its real cost. Um, The cost being kind of this emotional inauthenticity and pain that comes from not being able to be your true self. So it, you know, it, it's complicated, but this, this structure of inequality replicates at the personal level, at the interpersonal level, how um, people interact in romantic relationships or work relationships, and at the structural level. And so my vision, and I know it's a grand one, but why the hell not? We need it, is that we can integrate these two essential life force energies, the yin and the yang, at every level of society. You know, so each person is allowed to be their true self and express yin and yang, however it works for them. But in relationships, we don't have to like say one person has one role and the other person has the other role. People can be their authentic self, come together authentically in relationship. And if there's any difference, it will be based on who those people are, not their gender roles. And then at the societal level, right? Could you imagine if women were allowed to be angry, then maybe they would speak up and demand change. It's actually, it's already happening, right? But what if we Mm -hmm. actually celebrated that as opposed to trying to push it down? What if we celebrated men and and a lot of the younger men are like this, they're gender fluid, they're, they're, 
you know, they're not willing to, to uh, say they can't be frightened or, or, you know, tearful or upset. Then started saying, no, we're just going to be our true selves. And that was accepted. And that the whole society became a society authentic, fully realized human beings with, you know, all their complexity and all their diversity. Wouldn't that be a wonderful day? Um, now, whether or not the planet will be long enough to see that day, I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm here to support your vision. We go together. Yeah, <laughs> I'm here to support your vision, Kristen, and to stand you know. stand with you fully in that. Now, as we work to develop yin and yang compassion yes. for ourselves, how yes. does that relate actually self compassion? to our compassion for others? What's the connection? I mean, there's obviously a connection, but is it direct? Like the more self-compassionate you are, the more compassionate you can be for other people. Or I've actually met yes. people who seem very compassionate towards others, but not very self-compassionate. So I'm curious exactly. what you see as the, as the link or lack of link. Yeah, so, um, so put it this way. It's not true that you have to have self-compassion before having compassion for others because a lot of people are like that. It's actually a very common uh, way to be, to have high levels of compassion for others and low levels of compassion for yourself. So it's possible. The problem is, is, is it's not sustainable, right? So you get people with high levels of burnout or frustration or overwhelm because they're giving and they're giving and they're giving, but they aren't meeting their own needs. They're either subordinating their own needs because they think they aren't, they aren't important or they're really hard on themselves. So their, their emotional tone toward themselves is very deflating and defeating. So again, you can be compassionate, but you probably aren't going to last very long at what you do. And that's partly why we see these huge levels of burnout and, you know, the caregiving professions like doctors and nurses and teachers. Um, well, there are also, there are a lot of reasons for that. But one of the reasons is just focusing compassion outward and not inward. Um, so again, so we know that if you increase self-compassion, it does increase compassion for others somewhat. Um, but the reason it doesn't do it a lot is just because people are already so high in compassion for others. But it does actually in increase your ability to sustain giving to others. Um, and so I, I really think that, you know, in terms of, of the yin and the yang, um, one of the ways I like to see this playing out is... Um, so yin, self-compassion, and yin, other compassion. That's about acceptance, acceptance of ourselves as we are, acceptance of others as they are, you know, maybe acceptance of people with diverse points of view, different types of people. Acceptance goes with yin. But the yang is actually action. So just as we ourselves need to take um, action and protect ourselves and stand up for ourselves, I think the yang of compassion for others is social action, right? If you look at the Me Too movement, or if you look at, gosh, the greatest movements of social history, Martin Luther King, the Civil Rights Movement, or Gandhi in India, these people um, took a very yang approach to social change. So it was compassionate. It didn't make anyone the enemy. It wasn't fueled by hate. It was fueled by love, but it was very forceful. It, through very clear boundaries, this is not okay. And I think when, when you combine the yin and the yang, both internally or externally, the, the way it manifests is what I like to call caring force, 
You know, the care is the mm. end, but the forcefulness is the young. Caring force. So we need caring force with ourselves, but we also need caring force in the world. And I know you've been very involved in this, Tammy. You know, one of the one of the potential downsides of these movements of kind of personal growth or mindfulness or, um, you know, any of this kind of psychological growth movement, which is very important, it runs the risk of just us all sitting on our meditation cushion, being enlightened <laughs> more together people and not changing the world. You know, it can't just be directed inward. The action can't be just with ourselves. We also need to take social action because if we don't, I mean, we just don't have long as a planet and you know, all the issues of diversity and, and racism that are in our society now, you know, we need to take action. But again, we, you know, if we're just about social action and helping others and fighting for justice, but we don't attend to our own hearts, if we're like really hard on ourselves or we aren't fair with ourselves or we're, we're too passive or we're too aggressive with ourselves, we aren't going to be able to sustain the outward movements either. So I, I really, really think that all people, both inward and outward, need both yin and yang compassion. Kristen, before we end our conversation, I want to give a gift directly to people who are listening, who perhaps someone listening is in a state right now where they're like, God, you know, I could really use some compassion for myself about X, Y, Z that's happening in my life, some way that they're suffering and they're not quite sure how to turn towards themselves to help alleviate that suffering. Do I need yin compassion, yang compassion? You know, Kristen said the essential question is to ask yourself, what do you need? Okay. Good question. Ah, (laughs) <laughs> Could we just have, we talk about these self-compassion breaks. Could we together yes. have a self-compassion break? And could you help our listeners yes. kind of tune into what they might need, okay. what type of compassion they might need right now? Yes, I can. Because because what the self-compassion break does is it brings in the three components of self-compassion, uh, mindfulness, common humanity, and kindness. And then so I, I can lead us through a break and then I'll give kind of choice points where people can ask themselves, you know, how how what, how they might need that component manifesting. Um, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Perfect. <laughs> right. Okay. All right. Um, so, uh, yeah. So I guess for your listeners and, and you, Tammy, if you want, why don't we all just close our eyes? Because I've been gabbing a lot. So it's just nice to come back to our bodies. Right. And so it helps to close your eyes, go inward. Can we just take a few breaths? And just feeling your body, feeling your feet on the floor, your feet on the cushion if you're sitting. Okay. And so taking a moment to think of some um, problem or, or difficulty in your life right now that's bothering you. Um, please don't think of an overwhelmingly difficult issue because if you're overwhelmed, you actually won't be able to do the practice. It's something that's, you know, um, not sitting right with you that's causing you some stress or struggle.
just really just call the situation to mind, make it present, you know, who's involved, what's happening, what might happen. Okay, so the first thing we want to do is we want to bring in some mindfulness, just mindfulness of the fact that this is difficult. So um, you can say a phrase like, you know, this is a moment of suffering, but this is a moment of struggle. Now, depending on the type of struggle, right? Maybe you're feeling inadequate about something, for instance. It may just be, you know, this is the way it is. But perhaps if the struggle is maybe something that's unfair or unjust in your life, you can also add, this is the way it is, and this isn't okay. Right? So just ask yourself, what feels right more than the end? This is the way it is, being with this? Or do you need the clarity of really calling it and saying, this is not okay. It is, and it's not okay. Right? So just, just ask yourself, how do I need to acknowledge the suffering in this moment? Okay, and then we want to bring in uh, common humanity, just remembering that, you know, this is part of life. Uh, imperfection is part of life. Making mistakes is part of life. Um, and to be uh, <laughs> kind of crass about it, shit happens, right? And so how do you need to express this, this recognition that, you know, this is part of life. Maybe it's just kind of accepting that this is not abnormal. I am not alone in this. Um, and maybe if it feels right, reminding yourself that other people are struggling too. You know, me too. It's not just me. It's also my brothers and sisters or whoever else is experiencing this. You know, but it's, it's bigger than just us. We are not alone. And then we want to we want to bring in some kindness. And and first way I want to bring in kindness is through some sort of touch. So you may you may use a, a more tender touch if you feel what you need is some tenderness, like maybe a hand on your heart or a hand on your face tenderly touching yourself if you feel you need that tenderness. Or if you feel what you really need is strength, kindness manifests as strength, you can actually put like your fist on your heart, on your stomach, your solar plexus, depending on your, on your energetic core, give yourself strength. Physically give yourself what you need in terms of kindness, either with a tender touch or a strong touch. And then really asking yourself in this moment, you know, what is needed? What do I need to hear? 
And so what may come up is a message of maybe acceptance. May I accept myself just as I am? Or may I be patient with myself? Right, kind of more of these yin messages. But maybe what you need to hear is something more yang, something like, um, no. You know, no, I'm drawing my boundary. Or um, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to commit to making a change. That's really what I need. Right? Or I'm going I'm to give myself. I'm going to provide for myself. I'm going to, you know, put my needs out there as well. So just really, again, just letting, letting whatever answer from deep within you come up to answer the question, what do I need right now to be kind to myself, to be there for myself, and just see what bubbles up? Okay, and then letting go of the practice, and just wherever you are, just kind of coming back to... Um, the presence of just noticing how your body feels, right? You might be feeling um, good right now. You might be feeling bad right now. You might be feeling nothing right now. All, you know, and we don't, we aren't attached to how these practices make us feel. What we're doing is for setting our intention to be more compassionate and then kind of allowing whatever to unfold um, to be as it is. So that's, you know, so that's the self-compassion break. You're just reminding yourself of mindfulness, common humanity, um, and kindness. You can also do this in the format of writing if it helps. Um, but really, uh, yeah, so that, that's the basic idea. And if you find some language that works for you, sometimes when you do this, you, you come up with a set of phrases that just like, ah, that's what I need to hear. It's actually good to write them down and then practice with that specific set of phrases. You know, it's interesting to me, Kristen, that you said that the essential self-compassion question is asking, you know, what do I need right now? Uh, yeah. You know, I found also in relationship, an intimate relationship, if, you know, I'm having yeah. an argument with my partner and uh, yeah. she turns around and looks at me and says, what do you need right now? It completely stops the argument. It's a showstopper. Yeah. And it's like, that's oh, that's right. a really good question. What do I need yeah. right now? And you, you talked about how often... Even those of us who know how important that question is, we forget. We forget to just say to ourselves, what do I need right now? And I'm curious, how do we keep that question more in our consciousness? It's so powerful. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's a, a, a good question. But as we know, with all the research on um, brain plasticity, that the more you practice, the more it will come up, right? It just It is kind of a matter of habit. I know some people like write little messages, put them on their mirror, leave little sticky notes around, um, anything you can do to remind yourself. And by the way, the thing about what do I need, um, another, especially in interpersonal relationships, is sometimes we kind of know what we need, but we expect our partner to meet that need, right? And good luck with that one is all I can say. <laughs> 
because you, your partner may or may not be able to meet your needs, but they've got their own life going on. They have their own agenda. They've got their own needs. You know, we give away a lot of our power by expecting other people to meet our needs, and we suffer when they don't, right? The amazing thing about self-compassion is we start learning Wait, I can I can meet a lot of my needs myself. Not everything. We can't be automatons, but you know we have we have a lot more power to meet our own needs, to give ourselves the support we need, to give ourselves the love, the kindness, the acceptance, the encouragement we need, the fulfillment we need. Um, we just have to remember to do it, and even more than even more important than remembering is giving ourselves permission to do it. Once you give yourself permission and you set your intention, the rest naturally tends to follow. Okay, I just have a final question for you, Kristen. Okay. Uh, early in our conversation, you talked about goddesses of compassion and the image of Avalokiteshvara yes. with the hands yes. reaching out, and I brought up the yes. fierce, wrathful deities of yes. compassion that are bringing forth more of a, a young style yes. of protection. If you were to describe just in a feeling kind of way, what occurs to you, this balanced yin yang figure, what it looks like, it has both and it's there right as a God goddess of fierce and loving, attentive compassion. What does this being look like? Right. Well, so so just to say as to the thing of the different goddesses, in my bedroom right now, I actually have um, a picture of Green Tara, who's the Buddhist goddess of kind of more yin compassion, and I have a picture of Kali, and I actually have them both side by side, so I look at them both every morning when I wake up. Um, for me, actually, the image that combines both um, is a tree. A tree. I think a tree. I actually, outside my bedroom. Oh my! So I have this First of all, I huge... love that, and you've completely surprised me. So I love that. Oh really? Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I think I've got this beautiful oak tree, and I call her grandmother. She's huge. She's she's like probably three or four hundred years old, right? And so like the trunk is big, and it's solid, and it's strong. You know, that's the young energy, the strength. But the branches, they're flexible, and it's amazing how they grow. And you can see over the years, you know, they've just like each counterbalance each other, and it's so intricate, and they're very flexible, and they kind of sway with the wind. So I kind of see that the image of the yin and yang as the tree, the tree of life, right? The, the strong, solid trunk with the flexible, more yielding branches, um, and and we need both, and, and both are necessary for that tree to survive. And I think for us to survive so beautiful that's beautiful yeah i don't i don't have a single goddess image but a tree is a goddess <laughs> indeed yeah. i've been talking with Kristen neff with sounds true she's created a new audio training series it has about a dozen different guided practices it's called the yin and yang of self-compassion cultivating kindness and strength in the face of difficulty Kristen Neff has also created with Sounds True an audio training series called Self-Compassion, Step-by-Step, and with Chris Germer, who she mentioned in this conversation, they've created an online training course with Sounds True called The Power of Self-Compassion. Kristen Neff will also be at Sounds True's Foundation Gathering that's taking place at the end of September 
in the Santa Cruz Mountains. If you're interested, come join us. Kristen, thank you so much. I think some people in the world, they have some kind of direct open line with what's needed to help the culture evolve to its next step. And I think somehow you and your work with self-compassion and now the yin and yang of self-compassion, you have your finger on the pulse. You're right on it. It's a gift. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Brad. I'll see you soon. See you soon. Thank you for listening to Insights at the Edge. You can read a full transcript of today's interview at soundstrue.com forward slash podcast. And if you're interested, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And also, if you feel inspired, head to iTunes and leave Insights at the Edge a review. I love getting your feedback, being in connection with you, and learning how we can continue to evolve and improve our program. Working together, I believe, we can create a kinder and wiser world. Soundstrue.com, waking up the world 